And we got some really good people in our praise band, and uh, I really appreciate the work they put in each week. Give them a hand. They do a great job. So, I've really been looking forward to talking about money again. Uh, it was so fun last week, wasn't it? A blast just talking about generosity. And, and so this week, uh, we're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians, and it happens to be about money. money. Like, I, like It could be worse. It could be the Patriots, but it's not. It's about money. And we're t- calling this one Getting Reconnected. So this is like uh, week two in a mini-series within the series, right? So it's, we're talking about surprising generosity, and this week, it has to do with getting reconnected. And so I'm going to read the passage to you. It's the second part of uh, what we talked about last week in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to read this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through he, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. The work he's talking about is the work he was referring to last week about the the poor Macedonian European believers who lived in a war-torn region, who had many of their breadwinners had been killed. Uh, They were poor, yet they were taking up a generous offering every week to send to the struggling, hurting, suffering Christians in Jerusalem. People who had nothing, and I gave you an illustration, it would be like Christians in Syria supporting Grace Life. It's kind of be like what it would be like. And so that's the work he's talking about. And he says to the Corinthians, you know, you were doing this, and then you stopped a year ago. And it's time to start again. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. So let's talk about the history part of this. Let me explain what's going on here. If you remember correctly, I taught you in week one, if you were here, the Corinthian church is a wealthy church. It's a merchant town. It's a port town. And they have a lot of stuff. They have a lot of money. They're not lacking. There's not a famine going on. And so they have plenty. But what had happened is that they're in in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16, 1 through 6, I'm just going to read this passage to you. It says, uh, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do also. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, then 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 I will accompany them. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. There's the reference to that church he talked about. For I intend to pass through there. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So this is what happened in 1 Corinthians. He said, I want you to start taking this offering for the struggling Christians in Jerusalem. So this has been going on for a while. 
And Paul used in this first chapter the example of those without much having surprising generosity in Macedonia. They had begun to take this collection in Corinth, but their generosity had been interrupted. Because there was this conflict, if you remember, between them and Paul. And because they were fighting with Paul, they decided to stop being generous. Yet their conflict with Paul had not only started them from, or kept them from being generous, but it became overly burdened to others because their generosity had ceased. They had lost a sense of gratefulness to Paul for bringing the message of grace he had sacrificed so much to bring to them. They were hindered in their generosity because, whatever reason, they were disconnected in conflict. Even though, by the way, in the midst of their disconnection and their ceasing of generosity, the need of the Christians in Jerusalem did not cease. As a matter of fact, it got worse. But for whatever reason, it did not motivate them to continue being generous. Look, we're mad at Paul. We ain't giving him nothing. So Paul writes them this letter. We talked about virtuous confrontation a few weeks ago. If you guys remember, you see how this all flows together. He says he writes them this stern letter, a letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, a letter that really confronts them. And Paul says, I wrote the letter and I was nervous about it, but I'm glad because it brought a godly grief. Not guilt, but a grief that brought conviction that changed their behavior. That was the virtuous confrontation. And then there's news of their repentance. Remember he said, Titus has brought me news that you received my stern letter. And not only did you receive it, you love me again. And I love you. And so this virtuous confrontation brings about news of their repentance from Titus. And now Paul wants them to complete their process of restoration. So after Titus delivers the news... Paul reminds them of that project they had abandoned a year ago. The one about being surprisingly generous to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul's direction is part of the restoration process for the Corinthians. I mean, the final true test of the Corinthian repentance was going to be their generosity. I mean, if all the other things they said, they did, you know, yes, we're sorry, we won't do it anymore, and yes, Paul, we love you, and all, but we're still not going to give. You could see how their reconciliation would not have been complete. This is significant, church, because giving is a crucial part of demonstrating this reconciliation. And if they don't resume the project that Paul asked them to start, then what's the point? And so what begins to happen is they actually begin to share the burden. Remember, they were a wealthy region with plenty of money, certainly more money than Macedonia had. Yet their disconnection had put undue burden on poorer churches throughout the region. They were picking up the slack of this rich church that was in conflict with Paul. And Paul expresses how much their generosity has been missed, how desperately it is needed And Paul explains that one day they may need help in sharing a burden. And this is a crucial point. Many times we come to church with a crucial burden that we expect others to help bear. But we're not actively looking to bear theirs. 
So this is what happens in the historical part of this passage. I hope you understand what's going on here. Let's look at the theological. What does God do in this? Why and how does he do it? I'm going to tell you some of the things that surprising generosity needs as outlined in this passage. Because if you're going to be surprisingly generous, that's a God thing, right? It's not a human thing. I'm not asking you on your own to become a surprisingly generous church. Because we, we won't be. But so the first thing you need to be surprisingly generous is you've got to have a connection to God. Because when you have this connection to God, you understand the source of your provision. You understand that your provision for life is not just about your skills, your job, your bank account. It's about heavenly dad. Once restoration was complete, the Corinthians saw that even in their wealth, God was their source of provision. The other thing about the connection to God, it helps you understand the purpose of your blessings. See, connection to God allows you to see blessings as an opportunity to share other people's burdens. But disconnection will cause you to see those blessings as something for yourself. That's a nice blessing. I'm going to keep that one. It's a nice blessing. I'm going to get some new rims on my car. It's a nice blessing. I'm going to go on a cruise. I'm not saying those things are wrong. Well, the rims are, but the cruise, I'm not saying. Just kidding. You know what else surprising generosity needs? It needs connection to his kingdom. See, when you're connected to his kingdom, you have great passion for its mission. The mission of God's kingdom is not something you can take or leave. Oh, there's some missions work. That's cool. Oh, you're reaching out to people in the community with the food pantry. Oh, cool. No, when you're connected to his kingdom, you have passions for those things, and you're excited when you begin to see them fulfilled. You are driven by the kingdom's expansion. You're driven by that more than what the kingdom can do for you personally. In other words, more than what you can get out of the church, you're committed to the mission of the church. And by the church, I don't mean necessarily just grace life. I mean the church in general. Unfortunately, as Americans, that's often not the first question we ask when trying to figure out what church to go to. Oh, what are your programs? How's the kids' ministry? How's the student ministry? Hope the preacher's not like Joe. Is he like Joe? Because we're out if he's like Joe. But when you're connected to the kingdom, your passion is its mission and its expansion. Another thing connection to the kingdom brings is commitment to its success. Just like the Macedonians. And how did they give? They gave a lot of, they gave a lot of money for what they had, but they also gave themselves to Paul and to God to volunteer whatever we can do to help Jerusalem let us know. And then the last thing you need for surprising generosity is connection to his people. You'll have compassion for their circumstances. You won't be able to look at a brother and sister in Christ suffering and not feel any compassion or motivation to reach out and love and care and to what? Share their burden. If you see other brothers and sisters in Christ in your church struggling and you're not motivated to do anything, you're not connected to his people. You know what else connection to his people brings? Not only the compassion, but sacrificial love. 
willing to part with things that you've been blessed with so that they can just make it through another day. And I would tell you, if you think about this, connection to God, connection to his kingdom, connection to his people. When you are really, truly, actually connected to these things, it is impossible to not be surprisingly generous. If you're not surprisingly generous, then you're probably not connected to all of these things the correct way. Because generosity, the scripture teaches us, is a clear window into where the treasure of our heart lies. Whether you're serving God's kingdom or your own. And you can be in church and part of church and still be serving your own kingdom. And it can even look like you're serving God's kingdom, but it's not. Connection to these things, God, kingdom, and people, transforms your value system. And Jesus describes that transformation in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21 and verse 24. I'm just going to read it to you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't be connected to both or all three of these things if you're serving the wrong master. So let's talk about the devotional side of this. How connected are you? And I'm actually going to relieve you of the burden and say, how connected am I? Disconnection from God, his kingdom, and his people is one of the biggest hindrances to church people and churches in general becoming surprisingly generous. I'm going to go through some of the things that have caused me to be disconnected from those things at times. One of them might have been on Thursday. I'm not sure, but I I could have been disconnected on Thursday. That was a joke. I wasn't really disconnected on Thursday. Relax, okay? One area that I really struggle with is personal conflict, either when it's, you know, either from confrontation where somebody confronts me about my weaknesses or somebody else fails and I feel betrayed, I have allowed personal conflict within the church many times derail my generosity and disconnect me from God, kingdom, and people. That's what the Corinthians were struggling with. But we have to get to the point where conflict does not interrupt our generosity. But me personally, this is where I struggle. Another area that will disconnect me and keep me from being generous is a lack of grace. Lack of grace over an organizational weakness, like the church lets me down in general, or personal failures by you to me or me to you. But a lack of grace by allowing people who are flawed to be flawed can often disconnect me from God, his kingdom, and his people. You know what? Another one that's disconnected me in the past is when a church fails to meet my needs. Where there's something like, even as a staff person, when it comes budget time, and I'd be fighting for a budget for the youth ministry, how can you deny the kids? That's a good one right there, isn't it? That's a good one to manipulate with. Or when something happens in a church 
and the church lets you, legitimately lets you down and fails to meet a need that you had, that can cause me to be disconnected from God, his kingdom, and his people. Sometimes I'm distracted by personalities. I just don't like that guy. Sometimes I've been disconnected because I had resentment around how money was spent. And this last one is probably the one I struggle with the most, and it's not, it's, this is, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. I really struggle with not feeling, a, don't send me cards, don't do it. Don't, I'm just telling you, some of the things that I allow myself to become disconnected is when I selfishly don't feel appreciated. And I resent that. And by my own sinfulness, I allow myself to become disconnected. And when I'm disconnected, I'm not looking to serve others. When it happens, when I become disconnected for one of these reasons, I become cynical. I begin to withdraw my time, my talent, my treasure. I become more likely to use my treasure and talents for myself. In that process, I begin to create a burden on others who are still connected as the Corinthians did to the poor Macedonians. Because when we are disconnected, church, being generous is a drudgery. It's an unfulfilling burden. It's a reluctant activity that we can very easily talk ourselves right out of. I don't have my checkbook. Oh, my schedule's too full to volunteer. I don't really like them. I'm not going to go. Eh, I'm really tired today. I'll stay home. And you can see how when we begin to get disconnected, generosity, time, talent, and treasure is something we can... That's the first thing to go. But I will tell you this, that surprising generosity is evidence that you are connected to Christ. I don't believe people can actually truly be connected to Christ and not be surprisingly generous. As a matter of fact, surprising generosity is unavoidable when you're deeply connected to God, his people, and his kingdom. Can you see that? I mean, the Macedonians who had nothing gave themselves to God, then to Paul, and then their money. Why? Because they were plugged into the mission. They were plugged into the kingdom. They were plugged into their savior. They were plugged into the people, many of whom they did not even know. <clears throat> Corinth resumed generosity because they got plugged in again. They got reconnected. Their reconciliation process had been completed. And when you are connected, when you, when we are connected as a church and as individuals, you know what else happens? You're attached. You're not just attending. Don't confuse attending church as connection. You need to be attaching to the church constantly through relationships. That's one of the reasons why we make a big deal out of and spend money on donuts and coffee. Because we like people to come at 10 so we can attach to each other. You know what happens when you're, what else happens when you're really connected? You hold earthly treasures loosely. I don't mean that you waste them. I don't mean that you stop becoming a good steward of your earthly treasures, 
but you are more willing to bless others with them than yourself or your family. You know what else happens when we're connected? We grip heavenly treasures tightly. People, truth, the gospel, the kingdom, its mission. As our grip on earthly treasures loosens, our grip on heavenly treasures tighten. You know what else happens when you are really connected? Your love of the world fades. You're more interested in the single moms we're helping with the food pantry than what your next car will be. You're more interested in volunteering for our student ministry or the children's ministry or for Day for Hope or helping with the angel tree or the Thanksgiving dinners or whatever it is we're doing as a church or maybe somewhere else in the community. You're more interested in that than your own Not needs, but your own wants. And when we are connected, surprising generosity happens organically. Here's another one of our core values. We're organic in our ministry. What happens is you're, and this is the goal, right? I'm I'm preaching through these, uh, these sermons on generosity, not because you guys know I hate talking about money, but it's in the scripture. So I'm dealing with it the way the scripture does. And I'm saying is that our generosity will not be forced out of guilt or fear. Please, church, that is not the purpose of these sermons. I don't want you to go away from today feeling I need to give more. I'd rather you go away saying I need to be more connected. Because if you're more connected, I'm not worried about the other part. Because when we're connected, generosity is not forced out of guilt or fear, but it is a natural overflow of love, commitment, and compassion. And staying connected to God, kingdom, and people enables you to see God as your provider. He is your shepherd. His kingdom is your calling and your purpose. His people, your brothers and sisters... People you would do anything you could for. And when that happens, we start to recognize the Lord is our shepherd. We won't be wanting. We won't feel like we're lacking because we're not achieving all the world says we should achieve. We will feel fulfilled because we are connected to his kingdom. Father, today as we just continue to reflect on your truth, we ask, God, that you would keep us in tune with what it means to be connected to each other, what it means to be connected to your people, your kingdom. We ask, God, that you would help us to make sure that our generosity is not hindered because of conflict. We pray, Father, that you would help us to not allow our disconnection to become a burden to others. In Jesus' name.